Good morning. Good morning. Whether you are here in person or watching online, it is so good to be with you. If you're new to Central today, this is your first day here or your first day watching online, my name is Tyler. I am one of the pastors here at Central, and it's a privilege to be with you this morning. Before I get started, I just need to say congratulations. Congratulations. It was a big sports day in the state of Michigan yesterday. A great win, a dominant win, so congratulations. Of course, I'm talking about Michigan State basketball, beating Toledo. It was a big game, and we just we couldn't be more proud, so great job, Spartans. We are in the second week of a new series, our Christmas Advent series, that's called Christmas Playlist. Each week, we're looking at a different song, different hymn of the season, and whether we're looking at the content of the song or the characters or the main ideas, we're wrestling a little bit with these songs. What does it have to say to us today? And so we're going to get to that in just a minute. Before we do, you know, there's this, there's this truth that I think we all wrestle with, maybe this time of year more than other times. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, whether you are young or old, whether you, whoever you are, we do not like to wait, right? Waiting is hard. We don't, we don't enjoy the process of waiting. And it's really hard this time of year. For me as a kid growing up, oh, I just loved presents. I loved receiving presents. I loved giving presents. I loved the whole part of, of Christmas that involved presents. And I just could not wait. It was so exciting for me. And I, and I feel like I had this like superpower, kind of like Spider-Man, a spidey sense. And all of a sudden, I would just know that there was a present for me in this house somewhere. I could feel it. It was close. And I was one of those Snoopy kids. Maybe you were a Snoopy kid. Maybe you have a Snoopy kid. Maybe you know someone who's kind of Snoopy. But I was Snoopy, Snoopy, Snoopy. I just could not wait. And so when no one was looking, I'd go over to the tree and I'd flip through and that's Eric. No, that doesn't matter. You know, this is, no, that's not for me. And I'd find one that's mine and I'd look at it and I'd lift it up and see how heavy it is, see how big it is. I'd have my list of what I asked for. So I was like cross-checking, then this might be this, this might be this. I was a Snoopy kid and my parents knew it. And one year there was a present that showed up under the tree for my brother and I, but I was given specific instructions. You can not snoop. In fact, if you snoop, the present goes back to the store. What an ultimatum. But I was what I like to call a problem solver. And this is what I heard. Correct me if I'm wrong. I heard, you cannot snoop. And if you snoop, the present goes back to the store. But they didn't say anything about my friend David snooping. They didn't say that he wasn't allowed to snoop. And here's what, here's what I thought it might be. I thought it might be a game system. I thought it might be a PlayStation, like a big gift. And David had a PlayStation, so he was an expert. He already knew how big the box was. He knew how much it weighed. And so I had David come over, and when no one was around, I said, David, take a look at this one. I handed him a tape measure so he could measure the dimensions of the box. And I said, let me know. And David went home, and he found his PlayStation box, and he measured all the width, height, length. He said, yeah, Tyler's getting a PlayStation. It was a great Christmas. But I could not help myself. I just, I was a Snoopy kid. In fact, it got so bad that I learned where my parents would hide the Christmas presents. I knew their spot, under the bed, kind of on the north side of the bed. 
And so when they weren't around, I could go and I could walk up there and I could look, you know, pull the, the bed skirt up and I could look underneath and see the gifts and figure, okay, this is how I should react for this one. This is how I should react for this one. I had it down. Until one Christmas, I was home by myself. I'm sure I volunteered to stay home to clean the whole house or do something like that. But I was home by myself and so I went upstairs and I went by the bed and I pulled the bed skirt up and I looked underneath and there wasn't anything there. I thought maybe I just missed it and I looked again and still, nothing. I, I, I knew this is where the presents go. This is what I expected. When I looked under here, this is what I should see. I know how this works. And yet when I looked, I didn't see anything. I think about how that is in life sometimes. When we, we expect something to go this way. We have this idea, this plan. You know, this is how it should go. This is what it should look like. This is the outcome. And how many times are we left thinking, wait a minute, where'd it go? That's not what I expected. That's not what I hoped for. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Maybe you or someone in your family got a diagnosis. Wait a minute, that's not what it's supposed to be. This isn't what's supposed to happen. Maybe because of that or because of something else, this Thanksgiving, this Christmas, there's an empty seat at the table that looms large. And you think, wait a minute. No, 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 no. This isn't how it's supposed to go. Maybe it's a job loss and all of a sudden there's all this uncertainty. What are we going to do? How are we going to provide? Are we going to have to move? Are we going to have to change our kids' school districts? What, what's going to happen with this? Maybe it's fractured relationships with parents or with uh, kids, siblings, friends. Maybe you're sitting here today or watching online and, and your marriage is just barely holding on. And you thought, wait a minute. This isn't right. This isn't what it was supposed to be. Maybe you look around and you see the injustices, the brokenness around us. Maybe like me, I'm sure everyone in this room watching online is heartbroken at a loss for words for what happened this week in Oxford. We just can't wrap our minds around all of the loss and the brokenness and the grief, thinking of those families, thinking of those students, thinking of that school. How do you even go on? It's tragic. And it's not even just that district and those teachers, but now you see the repercussions, you see the, the ripple effect for all of our students and our families and our parents, our grandparents, the teachers. It's not supposed to be this way. This isn't right. I think oftentimes in those moments we turn to God and we say, wait a minute, God. Why didn't you step in? Where are you? What did, why, you, could, you could have healed this. You could have fixed this. You could have done this. You could have, you could have stopped this. You could have, whatever it was. It's like we're looking for God under the bed and thinking, wait a minute, where, where are you, where'd you go, God? And so many times in life, we feel like we're stuck waiting for God. And what do we do in that waiting? What do we do in those moments? And what, of all, what does all of that have to do with Christmas playlist or our song that we're going to be talking about today? The choir and orchestra just did a beautiful job. Mary, did you know? Thanks, Nate, for leading that. And today, we're not going to look at the song so much as the character. I want to spend some time looking 
at Mary, and specifically a song that Mary gives us. This, this text that we're going to look at today is possibly the most controversial, political, upsetting text in all of the scriptures. And that's not a reach when I say that. This text is so controversial that at different times in history, India, Guatemala, and Argentina banned the reading of this specific text. The government and those in charge were so nervous about what this text had to say that they banned its reading. And we could spend weeks and weeks in this text and just begin, begin to scratch the surface of what, what's all in here. But today, what I want to do is I want to look at this story, I want to look at Mary, I want to look at these passages and kind of see it in the overarching story of God. I want to locate it in, in God's story of redemption across humanity. See, Luke 1, this, this, this passage is found in the first chapter of Luke And Luke 1 opens with these two parallel birth stories. One is Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And the other one is this old priest, Zechariah, his wife, Elizabeth, and their soon-to-be-had son, John the Baptist. And both of these stories and both of these, these pregnancies are miraculous in different ways. For Elizabeth and Zechariah, it says they're well on in age. They're a little bit older. And they haven't had a child. And all of a sudden, an angel comes and visits Elizabeth and says, you're going to have a child. A miracle. And in the same way, Mary is visited by an angel. And it's miraculous as Mary, this virgin, and the angel says, it's not going to just be any boy. It's going to be a pretty special boy. So as we continue reading this first chapter of Luke, Mary ends up traveling to visit Elizabeth, who's her cousin. And as she approaches, Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, says that when Mary gets close, the baby inside her womb leapt for joy and and danced. And she tells Mary all of these things, and Mary begins to try to figure it all out, starting to come together for her just what all of this means. Later on in in Luke, we get that, probably the most famous verse for Mary, that she treasured these things in her heart and pondered them. We know that Mary is this reflective person, thinking and reflecting, pondering. And in her pondering, she leaves us with this song, found in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46, if you want to read along, or it'll be on the screens. Luke 1 says this, And Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord. Real quick, uh, so in my Bible, this is called Mary's Song. In other translations, this song that Mary sings is called the Magnificat. And we get that word Magnificat from this line, my soul glorifies. Some translations say, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. What a powerful song that Mary sings in this moment. 
You know, Luke's gospel is unique because Luke's gospel gives four songs, four hymns. This Mary's song is the first of those four. The second one is actually Zechariah's song. Remember, we have these two parallel birth narratives happening, happening at the same time. And so we get Mary's song, but then we also get Zechariah's song. And though the songs are very different in their content, there's a lot of, of the structure and an overall theme of these songs that are similar. For one, they both have a lot of Old Testament language in them, calling back to what God had done for God's people all throughout the Old Testament. But then each of these songs outlines the different roles that these babies will have in God's redemption story. For Zechariah's song, John the Baptist will be this prophet who will, who will make way for the Lord, make way for the Messiah. And so Zechariah talks about some of the things that John will do because of that. And for Mary's song, Jesus will be the Messiah, the one who you just heard will, will, will make things right. And so Mary talks about and speaks to the things that Jesus will do as a part of God's kingdom and God's redemption story. And this song from Mary, really both of these songs, but this song from Mary is a song of praise. A song of praise. And and you know somebody, you've had this happen, or maybe you've done it yourself, where somebody says something and you're like, "Ah, I don't really know that you mean it. I'm not really sure you're being honest there. Like, like one year for Christmas, one of my siblings uh, got a pack of batteries for Christmas from another sibling. That was his gift. And to be fair, he had asked for batteries, but he had got this big, thoughtful, really, really uh, kind of expensive gift, and he had given it to his sibling, and then in return, he got a pack of AA batteries. And so you can imagine his excitement. His words, wow, thank you, I, I, I don't even know what to say. Like, we know, you don't mean that. You're, not, you're just saying those words. You've done this, I've done this, we've said those things. Well, we don't really mean it. And sometimes in matters of faith, we do this. We say things maybe because we think we're supposed to, or maybe we're just trying to convince ourselves that the things we're saying are actually true. And sometimes maybe that's okay. But here, what we see in Mary is Mary is not just trying to say these things because she thinks, oh, I, I probably should say these things. But for Mary, this song of praise, this song of thanks, recognizing God's faithfulness comes from this deep well of gratitude, comes from this very sincere, honest, authentic place of worship. Look what she says in verses 46 and 47. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. If you were to jump ahead, you'd see the mighty one has done great things for me. She is authentically worshiping and giving God praise because God is good and God is faithful. But I love what she does next. The next few lines in this song are all of these these verbs. All of these verbs that are past tense. He has performed my deeds. He has scattered those. He has brought down rulers. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry. He has sent the rich away empty. All of these past tense verbs. And when you read it for the first time, I did this this week. I was like, wait a minute. So what Mary is saying is all of those things are already done? Well, how can that be? Because I still see some of these things happening. I see the proud taking advantage of the humble. I still see the, the, the hungry going away, not fed. Like, I, I still see these things. This can't all be done. 
But really what Mary is doing by using these verbs is she's not saying all of these things have been accomplished. But Mary is recognizing that she now is included. This is important for us today, that she now is included in God's unfolding, expansive story of redemption of all of creation. Mary is now a part of this story. And what might be the most profound thing in this song is recognizing where it comes in the history of God's story. See, for us, if we want to go from Old Testament to New Testament, we just go like this, right? It's one little, we can almost through it. From Malachi to Matthew. But when the prophet Malachi was prophesying about this, this, this Messiah, this Savior that would come to where we pick up in the Gospels, it's not just the flip of a page, but it was 400 years. 400 years that God's people were waiting for God to speak, for God to move. 400 years where they felt like God was silent. I don't mean to brag, but if I text John Gildner about lunch and he doesn't respond in five minutes, I start following up with a bunch of question marks. <laughs> we don't like to wait. And we can't even imagine waiting for 400 years, 15 to 20 generations of people were waiting. And then in just the right time, God breathed, God spoke, God moved. And what Mary's song is recognizing, what these 400 years are demonstrating to us is even when God seems silent, it doesn't mean that God is absent. That this song of praise, that, that God is good and God is faithful and we can begin to trust that even when we don't see God moving, even when we ask, where are you, God? We can begin to trust that God is up to something. God is working. And Advent and Mary's song remind us of this really important truth. That while we wait, while we wait, God is at work. While we wait, God is at work. But what does that mean for us, if we're being honest? See, the question that drives everything I do when I prepare a sermon, when I'm getting ready to preach, I have one question that everything is filtered through. The question of, how is this good news? I mean, if we're going to stand up here and preach about Jesus, it should be good news, right? That should drive everything we say and everything we do is, how is this good news? Okay, so, so while we wait, God is working. But how is that really good news for us today? How is that really good news for us in the world we live, in the things that we're experiencing, and what you have going on in your life? How is it good news that while we wait, God is at work? I wrestled with that this week. If I'm being honest, the first half of the sermon came together pretty quickly. And then I got here and it stopped. I wrestled and I wrestled. How, how is this good news then? I think one of the ways that helps us to understand this is to, to differentiate between Christmas and Advent. We oftentimes kind of put them together. But when we separate them out, we recognize that at Christmas... At Christmas, we celebrate 
that Jesus comes into the world, Jesus who is our hope and peace and light and love, Jesus comes. That, that at Christmas we celebrate that God moved into the neighborhood and dwells among us. At Christmas we celebrate that Jesus came, the Messiah came as a baby of all things, not in a palace or to a wealthy family, but was born in a barn to this obscure family in the middle of nowhere. At Christmas, we celebrate that because Jesus came, we recognize that one day all of the the wrongs will be righted. That one day there will be no more sadness, no more tears, no more brokenness. At Christmas, we celebrate that this baby is our good news. But in Advent, we wait. In Advent, we wait. Even though Jesus has come and lived and died and resurrected, in Advent, we recognize that we wait for all of creation to be reconciled back to God. Advent is about recognizing that in the midst of our pain and brokenness and darkness and sadness and grief, that there is a God who is with us in the midst of it. And Advent is about, even though our our pain and brokenness, even though those things don't just go away, that not only is God working, but that God invites us to be vessels of that hope and peace and light and love. This is our good news today. This is what Advent and Mary reminds us, that, that it's not just good news that God is working while we wait, but that while we wait, God invites us to be a part of it. God invites us to be active participants. Like Mary, we too are included in this story of redemption that God is working out through all of creation. That is our good news. That is our hope today. That God is with us. God is working. And God is inviting us to work alongside if, if you know me well enough or you follow me on Facebook, we're friends on Facebook, you know that over the course of years, we've had some interesting home ownership issues, uh, starting with wildlife. Uh, in our chimney, uh, we've got bees that live in our chimney. One summer, they started coming into the house. That's not great. Uh, they might still be there. I'm not really sure. It's just cold out, so they don't do anything now. Uh, then later on, we had bats in our basement and flying around. That was an adventure, we had to get rabies shots. And then just a few weeks ago, uh, this isn't actually at our house, but while I was on paternity leave, I got a text one day that someone here in the office went and opened one of my drawers in the office and found a mouse eating my chocolate. So it starts to feel like Dr. Doolittle a little bit. But I've learned some things in the last five years. I know I'm still new with this whole home ownership thing. But I'm learning that There's always a project that you can be working on. There's always something that can be remodeled, redone, repainted, updated, refinished, a new piece of furniture. And and I'm growing more and more convinced that that this isn't just unique for me as a new homeowner, but all of us who, who, who have a home, who live somewhere, there's always work to be done. Though I want it to be complete, I just want the house to be done. I don't know that the work is going to be done. There's always one more thing to do, one more room to paint, one more whatever. 
Friends, on this side of new creation, on this side of heaven, we wait because the work is not done, the work is not complete. But God is inviting us to be a part of this work. God invites us, just as God, Jesus, entered into the darkness. God invites us to enter into the brokenness and the darkness of our world and to be vessels, to be conduits of hope and peace, light and love. That's what Mary is reminding us of this morning, that God is with us. God is working. God is inviting us to work alongside. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. This practice reminds us of our need of God, our need of a Savior. What better morning to remember and recognize and to confess our need for a Savior than today. And so I'm going to invite you as the, the band plays this song reflect and to examine, to look at the posture of your heart, your life, to figure out in what ways can God's spirit work and transform in you to be this vessel of hope and peace and light and love. If you didn't get your elements as, you're, as you were coming in, we're going to stand here in a moment and as they sing, you can go get your elements. They're in the balcony or out in the, in the halls and then we'll celebrate receive communion together in just a moment. Our friends, would you stand this morning as we sing this song, recognizing that God invites us just as we are, that this is not our table, this is God's table that we are invited to. We believe that all are welcome at God's table as we recognize our need for a Savior and come before God with open arms, open hands, and open hearts.